Hey, we are going to be in uh, a different portion of Scripture. We've been going through the book of Revelation. Today, I want to be able to share with you a few things in regards to this particular week um, for prayer and fasting. And I'm a realist in the sense I, I try to kind of keep in my mind what it was like when I first became a Christian and some of the challenges I went through and, you know, being... Uh, basically, you know, I didn't grow up going to church, and it was in my 20s when I started going and trying to figure out what the whole vibe is, the whole thing, when you stand up, when you sit down, what you say, what you don't say, all that stuff. And as I'm growing as a Christian, and, and then somebody said, hey, you should come to our morning prayer. And I said, okay. No. You know, I wasn't in or, I couldn't imagine sitting in a group of people and praying when you... I don't even know what they would say or what they pray for, you know. And so it was like intimidating. And then somebody had mentioned, you know, in that group, they, they'd meet for about an hour. I'm like, I, I don't know what they talk about. I can get done in like five minutes. You know, I mean, I, I know I need a lot from God and that covers that. And so I got to plan the day. <clears throat> so as I'm re- 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 reflecting on my experience, knowing that even some of you, you know, honestly, you're like one hour uh, uh, maybe I can make it, you know, type of thing. Um, I want to encourage you because, you know, prayer, in the most simplest description, is conversation with God. This is conversation. And we know in conversation and just our interpersonal relationships, we have lengthier conversations with some than we do with others. Others, we have more depth, if you would, more roots in the relationship. So we, 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 we know them better. We trust them with more. We have a, can we agree that there's just different levels of, of conversation in, in, based on the relationships? And so I just want to encourage you, not all prayer is that, you know, bowing of the head, holding, you know, folding your hands, you know, closing your eyes, assume the prayer position, and, you know, King James Version type stuff. You know, I, I love the reverence that that imparts or it kind of conveys. But we're told to pray without ceasing in the scripture. So how, how is it that we can converse and pray without ceasing when we have all this functionality, the life reality we have got to be doing? So what we're going to do this year, um, we're actually going to have uh, an hour of prayer time. Uh, we'll have tonight, we'll be prayer and worship, and um, it'll be from 6 to 8. But as you've seen on the uh, schedule, it was just brought up 7 to 8 on Monday morning, 7 to 8 on Monday evening, and we'll just flow through the week. Now, Wednesday night, we will have teaching through Revelation, so we'll still do a portion of that, and we'll give, set aside some of our time. But on these other meetings, as we're going through, we're going to have someone share kind of an opening, kind of like a, like a devotional, but a conversation as well, and I'll call it a Devo Convo, kind of you know, mix it up like, so you're just kind of, you're, you're, you're sharing what's from your heart. In the, in the uh, Acts uh, 14, 27, we're told that the church, they got back together after this amazing missionary work had been taking place with Paul and Barnabas and this, all these people we read about. Well, they come back around and they, they discuss the things that God had done, which is an element. It's a, it's a aspect of praise. It's a form of recognition that God had done it and a realization for greater work to take place. But we wouldn't have necessarily categorized that as prayer, correct? It's just a sharing. So we're going to start our time with that element of sharing. Take 10 to 15 minutes. We'll have different people in the mornings 
Um, I'm working out schedules with Pastor Brian in Romania, Brian Fouts. He's going to do a live feed um, on either Monday or Friday, working out, which is going to be best for him. He's got some people that um, he's actually got some a Russian family that's going back to Ukraine, going back into Ukraine. They had fled, and now they're going back into the city. They're in. He serves in Romania. That kind of gives you a geographic perspective. So he's going to share uh, 10 to 15 minutes. On uh, one morning, uh, Pastor Brent, who many of you who have met, you know, when he's taught here, he's, him and Hope serve in uh, Calvary Chapel, Rome, Italy. So they'll have one session. Another one you may know, some of you know from some time back, uh, Jeremy Smiley, who was a drummer here and now pastor in a church on the East Coast. He's going to share a little bit. And I say that to help you see, you know, it's just not, it's really, prayer is not boring. It's actually exciting, and we understand the range of conversation, and then we see, you know, there's just the humble engagement that we can bring, and uh, so I encourage you, you know, actually would go as far as to say, you know, if you, if you call this your church home, if you get your messages from the Lord, if, you, if you're tuned in or here, um, you really need to pray, fast and pray. You really should, every single one of us. Now, what you fast from, and, and the duration, and th- those things, you know, that's it's between you and the Lord. I'm going to cover some of that today as we look at Jesus' instruction to fast and to pray. But I just want to encourage you, don't, don't be held back where God wants to bring you forward. You know, don't, don't find yourself going, oh, I can't do it medically, health-wise, this-wise, that-wise, schedule-wise. The Lord will show you what to set aside and, and how to seek his face in that process. Usually as we finish our week of fasting and prayer, the following Sunday, I should share a little bit about what people have conveyed to me or what I've heard them say about that time. And, and actually, I want to do that right now. I'll give you four um, statements or four different uh, things that people have said conveying what happened during their fasting and prayer week. Uh, one person worded it this way, I was encouraged in my reading of the Bible as I set aside the time to read restfully and not be in such a hurry. So they were able to kind of realize their schedule had to be tweaked in an element of type of fasting so they could just sit in the Word, and they were encouraged that they could read it restfully. Can you relate to that? You ever feel hurried sometimes in your disciplines and the things you're working on? Another one said it this way, I found that I had a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit this whole week. Sometimes our prayers, our perception is, Sometimes we just don't know if they get past the sheetrock. Have you ever felt that? They just kind of, you know, and I'm like, man, I need some sheetrock power here or something. But ultimately, sometimes we just, we really do need to just set aside time and settle in a little bit. And then we, we actually, when we take away the other distractions, that sensitivity has always been there, but we're not distracted. So we actually have a perception and an understanding of what God would be speaking to us. One other person said this, prayer and fasting helped me to reset my priorities and enjoy my quiet time in the Word again. Very much like the first one we, we read. And so, it, it, once again, it's, it's very beneficial at a personal level. I was given a new passion and compassion for the people who don't know Jesus. Sometimes as Christians, you know, we're working through the reality of life and the requirements and just various challenges and stuff. We inadvertently become kind of self-oriented. And so when we settle in and settle down and just start seeing what God is saying, we're kind of sparked. Every Christian 
has a desire for others to know the truth that they know. You may not be Billy Graham. You may not be leading the harvest crusade. But embedded, and we'll see this, embedded in our hearts, is this desire for others to experience what we have experienced. Not because we feel we have to go do it, but you hold something good and you experience something great. And you know the forgiveness of God and you just, inside of you is this desire, I just want to share that with somebody. And so this time is actually a good time to have that kind of renewed and even be encouraged by literally what God would do and is doing in our lives. So let's pray and then we're going to look at a study on fasting and prayer, specifically what Jesus said in this regards. Let's pray, God, as we are here this morning thankful, thankful for life, thankful for the liberty and the freedom that we have to gather in your name. Thankful for friends and family members, Lord, for all that you have provided, all that you have done. Lord, you know, even as we're thankful, we, we realize there's things that are hurtful. There's things that are happening in this world that are just, they, they're grieving. And we're just, we struggle with the processing, what it means and what it is. But Lord, we want to just uh, reset, so to speak. We want to hear from you and we'll, act, we'll take this by faith, this act will exercise this expression of fasting and prayer. By faith, we believe you'll speak to us. You'll lead us. You'll show us this week, even today, this morning, as you would reveal more of your heart for us, your love for us, Lord, that it's you who longs to have conversation. It's you, God, that does a great work in our lives. And so, Lord, teach us your word this morning. Walk us through this week. Show us all that you have in store, that we would be lights in this world, that we would experience your hope in the darkness, and we would extend hope to those around us. Oh, God, thank you for what you'll do today. In your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Prayer. And its basic definition, as I've mentioned, is conversation with God. People pray. Pharisees we see in Scripture, the followers of the Pharisees, the legal sect, the religious community, they prayed. John the Baptist, we know, is kind of the, here's the religious side, and then Jesus is going to come in chronologically over here in between this religious thing and where Jesus is going to bring about relationship, here's John the Baptist, a forerunner, telling people to prepare their hearts for the Lord. He prayed. His disciples were taught by him to pray. We know that Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, please teach us. So I find it fascinating, those simple statements in Scripture, because I think sometimes we inadvertently, almost subconsciously, just assume because they're the top 12, or they're the disciples that seen Jesus, they knew how to pray. I mean, obviously they had things more together than kind of like us, who, you know, we're just kind of country bumpkin, so to speak. We just don't know what they would know. But get this. The disciples said, teach us to pray. You know, the disciples grew up around religious expression titled prayer. But they picked up on something. That that, that we grew up around, that heritage, that ancestry, that formality, is different than what John the Baptist is doing. 
It's different than what Jesus did. Because Jesus, as we're going to see, he introduced them to a relationship with the living God. He broke down the barriers and the perceptions and these things related to systematic engagement. And he showed them what it would be like to really have a a good conversation with God. So Jesus, as the master, his role is to, to, to teach his disciples. You and I as disciples, as followers of the master, our, our role is to, to learn and apply the ways of the master. So as he taught his disciples, we see in Luke 11, um, we're going to see also Matthew's record of this. So if you turn with me, you may already be there in Matthew chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount, um, I mentioned that, uh, or Mike mentioned we had an email go out for this week's schedule and everything. It actually, uh, we have physical copies in the lobby out there. And in that particular letter, in that intro, um, I address reading um, Matthew chapter 6 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. A very radical message, a very uh, groundbreaking presentation of truth. We don't always catch how um, different it was because we don't live in that day, in that time. But, you know, Jesus, when he brought this, he, he, it was very, um, uh, well, I guess just say radical. It was so upending. It turned things over so much. And, you know, God is, is, is that way. He brings to our religious residue, he wipes it out. He turns it over so that we can receive or we can reset, put it all back the way it was, and then continue on. I hope we can receive and learn these practices. He's going to show us a few things like, you have heard it said to do this, but I say to you. And we're going to see specific examples as we read this. It's like, don't be like them. And it's really interesting that Jesus makes that type of a a person-to-person type comparison. But he's really breaking down these entrenched perceptions and practices that only promote separation from God. They don't bring closeness to God. So let's just jump in reading verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, let's go back up and work our way through and walk down through this revolutionary teaching on prayer. Why is it revolutionary? Well, for one, he's saying, don't do it this way, do it this way. 
Not like this, we see there in verse 5. Don't be like the hypocrites. I can't help but consider and even lean towards Jesus' attention was directed to those who were hypocrites. The religious establishment. They may have very well been present when he's presenting this truth at this time. To where he would look at them. Don't be like that. Because there's something distinctly different. You know, who did Jesus get upset at? Have you ever thought about it? Because he gets a little torqued with some groups. It was not the sinner. Not the one who was real about who he is. It was the one that was pretentious. It was the religious establishment that misrepresented the, the Father and the way humanity would engage with God. They're the ones he got really upset with. They're the ones he really called out. It's a good thing to remember. Well, here he's saying, listen, don't do it this way. For they love to stand, pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Notice why they love to pray? That they may be seen by men. And so he's addressing something that was cultural, that was taking place. You know, they, they, they did it in such a way to get attention. And what's interesting is so crazy because the Jews, you know, they, they have a problem with what you and I have in the sense of they don't even say the Father's name. They don't even want to write it down because what if we get it wrong? It's such a misunderstanding of reverence where they elevate him in a sense, but they isolate as well. In other words, they push God up and away, and they don't engage in a very personal way. So for them to do what you do, to do what I do, to do what Jesus said, to pray personally, relationally, to speak to God privately, that was like blasphemy to them. They couldn't grasp how you could have, as an individual, any type of engagement at, any, at a personal level with the living God. It just shocked them. And many people who have come out of a religious-type settings, they, they have a struggle with that as well. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, where it's just hard to think you could speak to God. Man, that's for men like Moses. That's for people that go up on the mountain and come back with a Holy Ghost glow, and, and you just kind of hang around them. You know, somebody else got to step in for you because, you know, you don't have, I could never speak to God. But Jesus is saying, you, you go to your father, they wouldn't even say his name. To the Jew, it was irreverent, disrespectful to approach God in such a personal way. And that's one of the things Jesus is turning it over. He's turning the tables over, as you know, when he went in and dealt with the money changers and that. He's just resetting things to the way they're supposed to be. That you could speak to God in such a personal way. To speak to the Father. Verse Six is where I'm drawing that from. And he said also in that point, when you have shut your, you go, go and pray. In other words, he's not in any way saying to you and me, don't, don't pray in small groups. Don't pray together. What we can see at the core of this is private prayer prepares the way for public prayer. When public prayer is not rooted and grounded in private personal prayer, then it becomes a display. It's not a reality. It's not what's really personal. So he says to go to a secret place. Go to a, I think the wording there is you see it. You go, go to a secret place or your prayer closet is how some have interpreted it. Which I love what I found out about this. The prayer closet. If you had a physical place that's your prayer closet, it, it probably would be kind of small, right? The thought of a closet would tell you not real big. 
Um, many of us would think maybe more kind of dark. So I don't use that much space in there where I hang my clothes. So I'll go, I'll pray there. It's isolated. It's just me. Interesting, the word used here also speaks of a treasure closet. Uh, that's what we use where the treasures were stored. And I think it's a better picture. And the point is not a form of isolation and avoidance. It's a measure, it's, it's an expression of intimacy. That I would speak to God, I would go to God, I would go privately before God. Not going on a public display, but recognizing it begins here. It begins in the private part, in the, in the very intimate ways. And so your closet may be very similar to mine. My prayer closet is mostly on government land. Seriously, that's the part where I, I, just, I can get isolated. I love Mountain Home. Do you know you can drive 10 minutes out of town and basically nobody will join you? If you want to just chill, especially in the springtime with some sagebrush, you have got a huge closet. And there's some treasures there. Because it's just that element of just being still and knowing that he is God. And just find, Some of you, you find it in your car. That's awesome. You can park somewhere between schedules or maybe at your set time. I see people parking out by the reservoir. I see people in the parks where I go. You know, the point is, that's where it begins. It begins privately in a setting and in a situation where it's not about who notices and look what I've done and all this false promotion you pray where your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then the way you pray, when you get there to do that, verse 7, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Prayer methods are often used, but unfortunately they're used sometimes and they, they replace transparent personal conversation. You know, perhaps we're like, man, I don't know how to pray. So someone says, hey, do you know that if you say this prayer seven times today, post it on your Facebook page, and if you're really old school, you'll, you guys remember back, I think there's some in the museum here in town to show you what a newspaper is, actual paper, like with classified ads. And with classified ads, you could like put this prayer in there. And if you did it for seven days in a row, and if you did this method, Prayer is not us coercing God to respond to a, you know, nagging bunch of kids. That's not prayer. That's not how he is. He's not reluctant. He's not, you know, withholding. Vain repetition speaks of prayer methods. Don't misunderstand um, relevant repetition. You may have prayed for a relative or somebody for years to come to know Christ. You may have prayed for a healing touch or a work of the Spirit in some measure, in some manner, and you're continuing to pray. That's, that's to pray. You're re- that's relevant, agreed? You would do that because you, you desire, we long, we want to see the will of God, the hand of God in the world that we live in. And so you, we pray with a confidence of the continuance. A, a vain repetition is oriented around, I did it this way, this many times, all right, God, it's, uh, you know, you're way behind right now. You don't want to even go there. You know, you just want to just kind of park. Ooh, I kind of maybe lean that way. And it's not the verbiage, the wording you choose. It's the methods you can see behind it. They think that with this, you know, they'll be heard for their many words. Pestering God to the point where he actually responds to us. Realize this. Prayer is not 
something that uh, we have to coerce God into. We don't have to talk him into something. We get to see what he's doing. God is not a reluctant God who says, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do this week. You guys got any ideas? So we would somehow present or, or kind of, it's like, no. Prayer in reality is the humility of a believer who longs to see the will of God working in the world. So you're really not talking him into something. You're coming into where you can see something that he's doing. Does that make sense? Yes, there's an interesting dynamic where when we pray, certain things do take place. But it leaves us in a quandary if we believe a healing takes place because we prayed for that healing. Because if you didn't pray for that healing, the conclusion would then be they weren't healed. And those who didn't get healed was because Christians didn't step up and pray. And so therefore, a lot of people are suffering because Christians aren't praying. My God's not that small, and he's not dependent on me. Nor are other people's needs dependent upon the faithfulness of his followers to intercede and persuade him into something he was going to do anyway. Does that make sense? Some people really give a lot of pressure on themselves in regards to prayer, and and they miss the intimacy. They, They get kind of ripped off and get into kind of a form of repetition. Verse 8 says, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So I'll reflect back on my early years, 30 plus years ago as a Christian. So your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So why do I got to bring it up? That's how my brain works. Like, why, why, why do I need to talk? He already knows. The Almighty's going to do what the Almighty's going to do. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I heard that a lot. Well, you know, God's just going to do what God's going to do. Oh, well, good point. Why bring it up? Oh, grandparents that are here, parents, do you enjoy a genuine conversation with your child? You do. Even if they don't even talk yet. <laughs> You're waiting for mama, papa, dada. You're wanting longing to hear that. You enjoy the conversation. You enjoy the relationship. You enjoy the engagement. And God tells us that he created us for his good pleasure. Humanity, unique in all creation, was created for the distinct purpose to be pleasing to God. So you can't escape the simple reality that he just, he just loves to hang out with his kids. He is going to do things, and he's going to bring about things. And so it's, don't, don't, I don't want to think that you know, he knows, so therefore I don't need to ask. He knows the things I need before I ask. But I don't know what I need. I know what I want. You know what you want. But you might not know what you need. And I've found that when I have time where I settle, as we've seen some of those uh, descriptions of the experience after time to praying and fasting, when, I, when I'm settling in and I'm being still and I'm sitting before him and I'm just kind of chilling, if you would, I start seeing things from his perspective. The thing that was so important to me, the thing that I set a deficiency, the area I, I just couldn't get past the hurt and the hard, harsh reality, the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Like, man, so you see what happens when we, just, we, we come to him with requests and petitions and we were concerned about a person and a situation in the world reality as we settle in, we start seeing things from his perspective. And we're actually encouraged. We're actually built up. 
Now let's check out what we see in verse 9. Some have referred to this as the Lord's Prayer. I think a better description would be maybe consider it um, a model prayer. It, it, the Lord's Prayer would probably be more like John 17, and you see what he petitions in prayer. But anyway, the point here, it's, it's not a manner in a sense to just do it this way, a method. It's more of a pattern, and having these elements within our prayer life. Because see, what he is presenting to you and to me, that we don't see in the magnitude that the early church did and the Israelites did at this time, but he's presenting a relationship-based conversation. You know, Prior to that, and even today for some people, there's a religion-based engagement. So you learn to pray, you observe to pray, you've seen things that were more spiritual or your perception was, so you would model that religion-based engagement. And so what he's showing you and I, as you can see from the wording, is remember who you're speaking to. Our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, hallowed be your name. Do you see what's being said? We're coming before him as our Father. Now, he could have easily said, okay, when you pray, pray to the almighty creator of the universe. Pray to the distant one who knows all things and is aware of everything. But does that invite you in type of endearment or a relationship? That would be a true statement if he said, you know, pray to the creator of the universe. But that wording, can, it keeps you distant, doesn't it? Why do you think he chose to say, pray to the Father? Because everybody's got one. So there's an awareness culturally, even if your dad's a... I wasn't going to say jerk or idiot. Well, I actually was, but I didn't. I'm not going to go there. Anyway, so suppose that guy's a jerk... And he'd really distorted your view of authority and, and masculinity and, and, and everything in your life. He, you still understand, even though your experience has been so brutal and harsh, the design of humanity, where a father is set to fulfill a role, to bring like nourishment, you know, bring uh, encouragement and build up the children. So you see what I'm saying? He says, the Father, the Father, you know, you pray to him, acknowledging him. You know, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed there just speaks of holy, uh, separate, elevated, above profane things. And that's the thing to remember as well. It's very personal. It's very uh, inviting. But it's very different. If we engage with, thought, with the God in the sense of like, you know, a friend, because Jesus said, invited us to that, we always got to have that openness and awareness. We can approach him because we've been born again. But also that realization, he is God and I am not. He's not just another person that I, have, I share my heart with. He's elevated above all other relationships. He is the very influence upon every single relationship. And when we're right with him, when we're in conversation with him, that influence comes through us, within us, and affects the relationships around us, at least our perspective on the relationships. So realize that, man, he's inviting us to this beautiful relationship that we learn to look to him. In verse 10, it goes on to say, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There should be, uh, I believe, recognized, we've been going through this last letter of the New Testament, Revelation. 
And we've seen that there is two different kingdoms. Satan is allowed to be the prince of this age, of this time. For a moment, he has a certain amount of uh, rule, not full rule, but some influence, of course. We know also that God is above him. And you and I have a deep within us, we have this desire for his return. We have a desire for his kingdom to be established. Not speaking of sovereignty, or speaking specifically of sovereignty more so than um, geographical or you know, continental boundaries. It's realizing, God, I want your kingdom to come, your will to be done. Well, in order for that to happen, you gotta, I recognize, I have to acknowledge one kingdom has to be removed. The spiritual realm, we understand the prince of this age, but your kingdom as well has to be surrendered. Your kingdom, whatever that kingdom may, how it may manifest, whether it's your will, your desire, your want for certain things, you know, we're basically saying, I want you, Lord, to rule and reign in my heart. I want to let go of my reign and rule my kingdom and submit to your kingdom age in, in now, your kingdom to come, even as we breathe and move. Your will be done. Well, what happens for your will to be done? For you to say and me to profess, God, your will be done. I have to be willing to be done with my will. I have to be willing to say, Lord, I, I, I struggle with this. I don't know if I'm, I'm doing it just because it seems like a good thing to do or if it's something you're directing me to. So, Lord, help me to decrease and for you to increase. Bring to my understanding your will, that your will would be done, and, and, and that I would not be putting my will in front. And what's fascinating thing among many people that live moral and ethical lives, and then they're born again, they actually are fulfilling God's will. Prayer is the means by which they get the confirmation, because sometimes we're not sure. Anybody have that struggle? Am I really doing this for God, or am I doing it for me? Is this the Lord's will or is this my will? And I wish it was simple to say yes or no, but I know for a fact it's not. And the more we grow, the more we realize, I don't, man, I, Lord, help me to know. So as we pray, as we approach him, as we're saying, your will be done, we're reminding ourselves that's what we desire. To him, for him to, to lead us, to rule, to teach us. Um, if your prayer requests or your desires conflict with his, then you hopefully would say, God, if my desires conflict with yours, they're actually my will more than your will, overrule me. Overrule me. God, I, 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 I'd like to be able to stand up here before you with the pastor, as, as a pastor with many years of ministry and learning this element and sharing it where I could say, yeah, if you do this and this, it all works out and everybody's happy. But it's not that easy. There's a wrestling match, a struggle within our very heart, our souls, to know how to serve God, to follow God, to honor God, to set our will aside and embrace his will. And when you come to that realization, get ready, because there's another realization coming. And that's progress. That's called maturity. That is, we learn more and more to just look to him and lean on him. So lordship, after lordship, in reverent regard of the relationship, come requests. See, in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's not to be perceived as a demand. Because of the relationship and the recognition that he is the provider and the protector, then we present to him this, this desire. Give, give us this day our daily bread. He knows our needs, and he meets them 
in a way that keeps us close to him. Do you realize that? He knows our needs and he meets those needs in a way that keeps us close to him. What if we were to pray, Lord, I just pray you would give me my annual allotment on January 1 and I will serve you heartily the rest of the year. Do you think you would? I mean, honestly, you know, most of us, I don't want to say all, I'll just stick with most, have prayed in some sense or compondered or considered, God, if you could just, if I just, can I share what I said for a while? Because it's more spiritual than some of what you do. I said this, Lord, I pray I will find a lottery ticket. Because that's far more spiritual than buying one. And if I could just find one, that's clearly an indication that God has provided. Because what are the odds? And man, Lord, just give me the wisdom when that happens. Because I wanted to pray by faith, so I had to kind of name and claim a little bit. When that happens, keep me humble, keep me close to you, that I'll use the money wisely for you. And God, you know, he's so beautiful in his answer. He said this. (laughs) I love you, Danny. He don't get to call me Danny. Only mom and God get to do that. But the point being is like, I, I was... You know, it seemed like a legit request, and it's honest. But he's like, I, I know you. And I'm going to provide you in a, for you in a way that keeps you close to me. And it's a way that's perfect for you. It'll train you and teach you. How many people have seen their faith shipwrecked by prayers or by petitions or pursuits that were contrary to the will of God for their life? I'm not talking monetary. That, that's a management issue. Whatever funds you have to, to handle as a stewardship or as a steward. I'm thinking of just relationally and the various deceptions of this world. That we want to like, God, I, 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 whatever you provide, you got to figure it out more than I do. And I would rather have him provide daily. Daily builds strength and deepens the relationship. Remember, God is not stingy. He's very gracious. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I was talking relationship once again. You know, debts, the offenses, uh, the sins against other people. I don't believe this is speaking of in a financial sense, although that's very relevant. It is a part of it. It's not so much as a money debt rather than a relational offense. If you have a money debt, like you owe some, or somebody owes you something and they don't pay you, you have a relational offense. You're not celebrating their punkness. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're offended with them. And so it's not, we, it's not the money so much as the relational reality. And he says here, as you see, and we'll catch one other verse here in a little bit, that we're to forgive our debts. At petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's actually not optional. And we're going to see that in a little bit. If you've truly experienced his forgiveness, then you will be inclined to forgive other people. And it is not of the natural, it's not of the logical, it's spiritual. When you've experienced his forgiveness, you realize, I gotta learn how, I gotta know how to tap into that power, that source, and extend that forgiveness for his glory and my freedom. All right, moving along, oh boy. Um, Verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here we're seeing he's like, temptation there speaks of trial. 
It literally means a test. And so the way I would maybe word this in kind of street language, so to speak, guard us from wandering. You know, even this way, bring upon me only the trials, the tests, the the temptation. Bring upon me only those that will keep me close to you. You need trials. You need tests. We need these things to be able to some degree discern where we're at. You know, what teacher presents to you a test just to fulfill their sadistic desires? That's not why they give you tests, although an elementary student may wonder. They give you tests for your benefit so that you will understand where you're at in a particular subject or an area or whatever it may be. Their desire is to then know how to then keep you maturing and growing in whatever it is they teach. So likewise, in the spiritual sense, you know, God allows certain things in our lives is in a process of purification. Adversity, hardship, pain, and suffering is probably the most effective means by which the residual and the residue of the old life and of this life is flushed from us. We would love it to have some, happen some other way, agreed? But it is through hardship that we're drawn closer to him. So he's, we see here, just whatever it takes, God, I trust you. And I know many of you have prayed that and tried to recant it when you realize what the statement was, but then you embraced it again when you said, you know, God, I know you're trustworthy. I don't have to be afraid. I know you, you got my best in mind. So, and then it concludes with amen. Amen. I love the statement. It, it means so be it. Um, but here's another thing, that an aspect of that statement or that word. It was, it was used in the synagogues, and the church kind of carried it over to the churches, but it was a way of taking what you heard and making it your very own. So when someone said, hey, man, brother, amen, what they're saying is what was just said, I want that in my life. I want that taking place. I, I, I embrace that. It's not like goodbye, talk to you tomorrow, Jesus, amen, see ya. You know, there's a personal element I found very fascinating when we, when we welcome that in. Your will be done, your kingdom come. Verses 14 to 15, I'm not going to touch on that. It's interesting that he teaches us so much about prayer. And before he goes to fasting, he returns to forgiveness, talking about the importance of forgiveness. As we pray, before we practice other disciplines, realize his power in regards to forgiveness. If you want to experience forgiveness, you must extend forgiveness, no exceptions. That's a very strong statement from Jesus. Why is that? Because he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to be torn up from the inside out by bitterness, which is a byproduct of unforgiveness. He knows it's actually best for you. And so you would say, well, you don't understand what I went through as a child. You don't know the horror and the terror. No, I don't. But he does. And the power to forgive someone who's done horrible things to another person or to you doesn't reside in your willingness to agree with Scripture. It resides in his power placed within you and poured forth from you teaching you how by words, by conduct, by duration, sometimes time, to forgive because he has forgiven you. To know that power that brought you into right relationship can be extended to forgive someone else. And I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know how it will be expressed. But you know when you hold on to those things, it eats you up from the inside out. 
and it actually does more damage to you. And that person that needs your, for you, your, your to forgive, they're kind of off the planet sometimes. They don't even care. They're living life like no big deal. They forgot what they've done to you. They don't care. It doesn't affect their life like it does yours. But you are given the opportunity, the power, the ability, and the call, the exhortation to forgive. Because what did you do to earn God's forgiveness? Nothing. As he has forgiven you, so you must do also. Likewise, Another message in and of itself, but let's move into fasting really quickly. Matthew 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. I assuredly, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. So I, I don't need to get into detail on that, of course. You know, putting the spiritual desires above before the fleshly desires. Fasting is a discipline that we see in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Jesus fasted, the apostles fasted, the early church fasted. Fasting is a discipline of putting the spiritual desires before the fleshly desires. Because deep within every person is a desire to know God. Every person, every, per, every human is a desire to know God. The Christian, born again because of God's grace and receiving the gift of life and forgiveness, has a deep desire for intimacy, for closeness, for affirmation, for approval, for encouragement and comfort from Jesus. Born again, you desire to be closer to him. There's, there's things, in, things in your life you're just longing to know his, his direction, his design, his purpose in a deeper way. And that's true with every single one of us. Now, some pursuits and some practices and some things in our lives that we've maybe been distracted by rob us from this realization of a deep desire for closer intimacy. But then we have moments where we say, you know, I'm just going to hit the brakes. You know the most common thing to cause us to hit the brakes and come to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? Mortality. Whether it's you, your own realization, or a diagnosis, or whatever, or the loss even of a loved one. It's then when we hit the brakes and go, man, I just I want to know God. I want to know God more. And so fasting is a means by which we can express this love. The, the desire is propelled by love, this desire for closeness. It's, it's, it's appreciation. Our desire to be more like him is expressed through fasting. It just, it's not a, a means by which we can persuade him, but a desire to know God in a deeper way. A desire to see people, circumstances, world events, worldview from his perspective. Would you like to know more his perspective on Eastern Europe? Wouldn't you like to know his perspective on, on slums, on, on, on life, on events? I hate getting the spin from the world because I don't know the motive. And I hate being left in the dark when there's people in need to pray for or somehow invest into who are, who are refugees and hurt. I want to know his, his perspective on these things. I want to see people. Have you ever said something to somebody because you have information, you have understanding, you make your summary statement, you conclude it, you're fixed, you got it. But then you get more information and your summary statement was stupid because it didn't have enough information. And so here's the reality. I, I desire to know God 
in a deeper way because I do not know what I do not know. I don't know their childhood. I don't know their expression. I don't know their health condition. I don't know their hardship. And, you know, I want to see people from his perspective because it equips us and it enables us to love the way he loves. It helps us to understand the world as it is because we see it from his perspective. And you know what happens as we're fasting, as we're praying, as we're seeking his will above our will? We have a desire for people to know Jesus. It's not because you want to be, you know, Greg Laurie or Billy Graham or whatever. You just, you're around people and you've experienced something from God. And you know it's true. You just know. And you want somehow to share that with somebody. Somehow allow and maybe convey to them what you know to be true about the forgiveness of God and the love of God. So how do you get, I think fasting and prayer is a good way to help reset and help us to kind of get under, gain understanding. So he's a text is telling us, you know, try to, you know, appear, you know, appeal to men, appear to men. You fast, you, you do it kind of in a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself, you know. You know, you should, it should be not obvious to those who would be impressed by it. People will be impressed if you fast and pray. Seriously, and, and it's not a bad thing. They, they realize there's a discipline and a choice. But you don't fast and pray for their impression, for their compliment. It's just a result of it. You know, when you fast, do it in such a way it's not obvious to everybody, which the text shows they were doing it a very obvious way. Real quick point, sidebar, important. Hangry is not an option. When you fast and pray, hangry is not an option. You get hangry. Hungry, therefore angry. And if you... I know this is going to... Whatever. So hangry... If, if, you, if you get angry because you're hungry, you need to go hungry more often so you can figure this thing out. Agreed? If somehow hunger is a pass to be an emotional tyrant, then you need to stop eating for a little bit and figure out why that is. Seriously, I know that sounds weird, but if you have kids, when they get hungry... Can they throw their toys around and throw a fit? You don't let them do that? You are such rude people. Why not let them express the experiences of life and go through things? You hinder their growth. You interfere with their liberties. You take away their potential when you put rules in front of them. Right? Wrong. You love them and you say that that's not acceptable. You understand it's not permissible. So understand this. When you make excuses, you are robbing yourself of an opportunity to grow. And it may be in some other area. When you make excuses, you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to grow. Well, I don't give in this way. I don't tie that way. I don't, I don't do this and I don't do that. And I'm going to pray for those who are praying. And I, I just, I don't, whatever. But realize this. I don't want to rob myself of an opportunity to grow. And there's something that God's speaking to each one of us in a ma- to how we would live out this, this practice, this love, this life that we have with him. So once again, um, God always honors your efforts when you choose to obey and trust him by faith. We'll skip it right now. We'll bring it up for projection just so you can write it down. But Hebrews 11.6, you know, when you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we come by faith. Isaiah 58, 6. And you can read most of that portion of Isaiah. It's really a beautiful passage on God's chosen fast. The fast that God has appointed with a curiosity, a hunger, a compassion for people. 
So with that, why don't we have the worship team come back up? We're going to take communion today. And uh, I love what Jesus has done in regards to teaching with such simplicity. As we read there that passage, the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew 6. And then we even consider what he said when he implemented, instituted, um, introduced what we call communion. It's in Matthew chapter 26. So we're going to read that. If you would stand with me, I'd like to read that, and then we'll pray, carrying from there right into a song of worship together. And if you desire, as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to take communion today, we provided the elements on either side. There's some, I believe, in the back as well. And during that song, you can just come up, pick those up, return to your seat, hold on to them, and I'll come back up at the close of the song and we'll, we'll actually take communion together. So let's begin with prayer. God, thank you for the beauty of communication that you've created us as beings with intellect with emotion, with full faculties to be able to dialogue and communicate. And even more so, Lord, you have brought about forgiveness. You have brought about new life. That as sinners were forgiven, which opens the door that we can come boldly into your throne of grace to have conversation, to experience your provision. Thank you, God. Thank you. If you're here today and you don't have that relationship, I'm just going to give you the simplicity of the gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trusting in him for salvation, to be forgiven of sins, is, is very straightforward, very simple. It, you would begin in this manner. God, I, I don't get all this stuff, but I do understand that I have done things against you. And I would ask for your forgiveness. I'm hearing and seeing that the Bible teaches that you are God and that you rose from the dead, Jesus, to pay the debt of my sins. So I ask for that new life you speak of. And I believe you, Jesus, you'll, you'll, you'll lead me in this new life. You'll teach me your ways. So I'd humbly request, show me this new life. That I don't turn back to where I was. That I don't lean into the world, but I, I, I long for you and to work that out, God. Thank you, Jesus. And God, we all thank you for what you've done. As you taught your disciples, they were eating, and Jesus, you took bread, you blessed it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then you took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day which I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Lord, prepare our hearts even for communion now, realizing from your word, what great price you paid that we would have communion. We sing this song to you as you prepare our hearts, Jesus. Amen. Amen.